listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I am your host, Heather Osgood, and I am really excited for today's guest. When I started True Native Media many moons ago, I was super obsessed with Midroll because Midroll was an agency that had exhibited a ton of success. They had sold their company for millions of dollars. And I just really thought that they were amazing. They still are amazing, although they have changed hands several times. And Ray Harkins was one of their first employees in the podcast ad space. Super excited to have him on today. He is currently the West Coast lead podcast strategist for iHeart. Welcome to the show. I appreciate that. It's a very fruitful introduction. But uh, yes, you, you encapsul- encapsulated like almost 10 years of history in a couple sentences. Perfect. I cannot believe how old I feel. It just feels like time is going by so quickly. And today I met with Magellan to look at their platform. And as I was talking to them, I was like, remember the day when you guys were on spreadsheets? Because I remember the day. And it's just crazy how long, you know, or I guess how quickly um, time passes. So has it been 10 years for you in the podcast space? If I'm rounding up, then yes, because I think it's about eight and a half, close to nine years. But yeah, it is weird because this is, and I joke around with everybody that like, I know still in the music industry because I worked in there for many years. And like, it's the only industry that I've ever worked in. It's a gross industry (laughs) where I was like, oh, so this is what happens. And this is why years feel like five years and, you know, all of the cliches that people use to describe whatever the dot-com boom or anything else. So yeah, I mean, time as Matthew McConaughey in the first season of True Detective put, time is a flat circle. And that's what it feels like in this industry where it's like, oh, is that that long now? Okay, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. And I am right there with you. I know that I was in the newspaper industry for several years. And while I loved the newspaper industry, like I could feel it like slowing down and all of these other things are creeping up around us that feel so much more exciting and more successful and more trackable. And being in podcast, I think is just so fascinating because we get to see all of this amazing growth that's happening and all of these bigger companies coming in and looking at the space and huge, huge names. It's pretty fascinating to me. And I think it really does make time go by so much quicker. I'm curious, because so much has changed, what would you say are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the industry? The first change that I physically saw was just the fact that obviously money can be made. I distinctly remember it was probably one of the first podcast movements and where it was the idea that there was this, you know, like gold rush where it's like, oh my gosh, like people can do podcasts and like make money. People didn't exactly know how to get there. And so there were a lot of people, I, I never experienced the whole look at your name badge. Oh, you work at that company. So I want to talk to you. I never experienced that before. And so I had people coming up to me literally like in the halls, like pitching their shows. And I was like, first of all, I'm not making this decision in a hallway in Anaheim, California. And second of all, I, I feel really uncomfortable right now. It was the same, same idea. Like I was just so distinctly remember working at a record label and having a band come drop off their demo at our office and they waited for me to get back from lunch. And they were so, they were like, Hey, can we listen to this demo in front of you? No, absolutely not. This is terrible. 
But anyways, so that that shift where it, it felt like a lot of, and this is going to sound totally elitist, but like a lot of tourists came in where it was like, oh, so I can make money. Like I'm an entrepreneur and like I got this thing going on and whatever. And so I felt like there was a lot of that snake oil salesman scenarios that were were happening. So that was a big shift where it was like, okay, once people recognize they can make money, there was a lot of people that dove in, but then didn't understand that like it actually takes effort and time to be able to like get to that spot. But it definitely weeded out the week, so to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people who's not going to stick around and put in the sweat equity that it takes to not even like make a living off of it, but just be able to be like, hey, can I cover my hosting costs? <laughs> and so that was a big shift. And then also just the diversity of people interested in the audio medium from whatever you can throw stones at celebrity hosts and all that stuff. But like, that was really interesting. And then especially the way that different celebrities and people of note started to engage with the media. I'm going to use this as an experimental platform for myself, or I'm going to use this like, you know, person like Malcolm Gladwell, where it's like, yeah, instead of like writing a book every two or three years, I'm just going to do these podcasts and then maybe write a book every seven years or whatever. It was just really interesting to see how different people engaged with it and then obviously made it a sustainable business and were able to expand their repertoire of what they were bringing to the table. So those were two things of, oh, it's not just people talking about tech or comedians using it. It's like, there's such a wide variety of people that are getting attracted to it. And that's what made it exciting to watch all of these different genres and subgenres start to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's been really fascinating to watch all of the celebrity podcasts, I think, especially since the pandemic, because so many actors weren't working. All of them are like, hey, I should start a podcast and look at that person's doing X, Y, and Z. And man, they're super successful. I should do it too. I, I do think that it's amazing as well to look at some of them not succeed as well as succeed because I find that with podcasting, oftentimes people think that if they start a podcast, they're just going to get listeners. And I really don't think oftentimes it even necessarily matters how famous you are. You still have to go about promoting the show correctly and making sure that people understand that it exists because I hate to say this because it feels so, so overdone, but discoverability is still a challenge in the issue or in the industry. So I feel like just because you're famous doesn't mean you can just start a podcast and have it succeed. But it's amazing how many more celebrities are in the space now. I feel like when I started six years ago, there really were hardly any, I mean, there were some, but very, very few in comparison to how many there are today. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with once the entertainment industry at large, the quote unquote talent, started to experience what it was like to be a guest on a podcast, they were like, oh, this isn't a press junket. This isn't like, I'm not just fitting myself into five minutes of late night or whatever. That's where you started to see the attraction to it because it was mostly just a medium of people using it for obviously self-promotion, journalistic endeavors and that sort of stuff. So I think that that definitely helped encourage a lot of people to mess around with it that do have some platform in some capacity. And I think that that's what I always joke around where it's just like, you know, there's obviously there's famous and there's like podcast famous, like no shots against like Chuck and Josh from stuff you should know. No one knows those guys. Like when I say no one, like no one from a mainstream perspective, but they are one of the largest podcasts to ever exist. 30 million plus downloads a month, like unbelievable number, you know, television shows would 
die to have that audience. And the, and while those guys are obviously very famous within the podcast universe, it doesn't stretch out too far beyond that. And if you are appealing to this particular audience in audio, like the, you know, the sky could essentially be the limit where it's like, hey, these these guys were two researchers, and now they have made this multi million dollar empire, and they're just so like, crazy. Just, yeah, just normal dudes, man, just hanging out yeah. talking about nerdy stuff they care about. And it's like that is great, and that obviously could not have existed if it was not for podcasts in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think advertising has changed in this space? I mean, obviously there's oodles more technology, but still probably not quite enough technology. But how has advertising changed? From my point of view, when I walked in, because like I didn't come from, I wasn't like a radio salesperson. I didn't come from any other sales experience period. I walked in being like, I like podcasts. I have a podcast of my own. I'm a nerd about it. I can probably talk people into sampling the space and understanding what host red ads are. Frankly, I was shocked at the amount of money that people spent on advertising. And I know that sounds like very naive, but I was like either nonprofit budgets and my work at people for the ethical treatment of animals because I worked there for a while or the record labels I worked for, which were of an independent variety. So like our total marketing budget was like $30,000. We didn't have a lot to do with it. And so I'm, I'm shocked at, you know, frankly, like these clients that were coming in, your audibles and a lot of the people that were very early at the podcast advertising game being like throwing some serious, I mean, what I define as serious money at it. It's like, wait, $20,000 on like one ad read? I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And so, and just like how that worked so well for them. It was like how that one spot could drive a lot of interest when it first aired. And then that sort of long tail, because we're obviously talking the baked in scenario. And so the long tail of people would still be redeeming those codes, like, you know, three months later, as long as the content was obviously evergreen. And then just the, the engagement that people had from a client or agency perspective, once it worked, they were just like, can I throw all the money at it as possible? And so that was really interesting and engaging. And then once different technology pieces came into play, it became interesting to watch the planning as far as like how people were engaging with their their flighting patterns and like, okay, rather than I'm buying three episodes to start off with, I'm going to be now running over three months of a particular show with dynamic down insertion or what have you. So that, that shift was obviously monumental and a lot of people are still kind of figuring out how that can work for them in a positive way. But that watching those two things happen where it's like the success being so like tactile and immediate and then also just how people would engage with the medium knowing that host reads are obviously still a, an incredibly important part of the landscape back then and still now. And I, I think watching how people understood, and especially now sitting in, in 2022, how people now know they need to be involved in podcasts, but they don't exactly know either how to engage with it or like they don't have enough time to understand it. And like watching that, the low IQ that exists within the agency ecosystem or client ecosystem, but then knowing that they have to be in there. So they're like, all right, I got to roll my sleeves now and finally feed itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I talk to people all the time who express how successful podcast advertising can be, 
But then on the flip side, certainly there are people who are not successful with podcast ads. And there isn't like a silver bullet. It's not like it's going to work for you every single time, no matter what. When you have seen campaigns fail, do you feel like there are certain things that the advertisers have done wrong? Um, Or, you know, what really causes a campaign to fail? Yeah. Yeah, it's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> you can and, answer that one. Come on, Ray. <laughs> no, yeah, it's super, super simple. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that in two minutes or less. Now, as in everything, there's a multitude of reasons. You know, one, it can be the creative. Or usually what I find um, is that certain clients or products should not be advertised on podcasts. You know, it's like there's that instinctual voice that you might have inside your head, like people like you and I who have existed listening to podcasts since we were, you know, babies or whatever, like just understanding where it's like, no, that's not like, that doesn't feel right. Like I so distinctly remember, gosh, I want to say it was like 2019 or something. MasterCard was engaging when I was at Midroll and they were, they wanted to execute a campaign. Their directive and granted, I understood where they were coming from because very rarely do brands of that size are just like, I do whatever you want with it, guys. Like they got some pretty stringent TNCs and all that sort of stuff. So the way that they were executing the campaign, they were doing host reads because obviously at that juncture, there wasn't really a ton of other options. But all the hosts that did these reads, it it sounded so stiff, stale for obvious reasons because they were like reading the script and could not interject anything. I mean, not like anyone's going to have a strong opinion of like, oh my God, MasterCard changed my life, but they could probably bring something funny or interesting to the table. Uh, With that being said, I think that the the copy and the creative is obviously also another really interesting component. And then also probably just like pick the wrong shows. A lot of times clients for understandably or for reasons that they understand, they're like, I know our demo. I know exactly who we're trying to reach. And sometimes that does match out to the audio landscape, but sometimes it's like people that consume podcasts are slightly different than people who are listening to music on Spotify or whatever, like all of these different mediums have a different level of engagement with the consumer. And I think that people have to, especially from an agency perspective or a client perspective, have to understand that even though you may have this focus, you need to wind up your lens. If it's not working, don't maybe take the exact opposite approach where it's like, all right, I was trying for females 18 to 49. Let's try for males 18 to 49. You don't need to do that. But you can maybe be like, all right, well, now we need to diversify. Maybe if we add some male shows to the mix, that that might start to actually get results. And you don't need to like sort of scorched earth policy it. <laughs> it's like, I've tried everything and it doesn't work. You don't need to do that. But you need to open up your lens a little bit in order to understand that all of the conceptions that you have about your brand are absolutely etched in the Bible and true. Well, people are weird, you know? You can't tell how it is and interacting with your your brand until you're actually in there and understanding how those results start to kind of, you know, echo back to you. Right, right. Absolutely. I'm thinking about a brand new advertiser to the space that we're working with. And we sat there and told them they really should pick at least five shows to work with. And now we're in three weeks into their campaign where they picked one show to advertise with. And they're like, it's not working. And I'm like, and you've got one show, so you don't yeah. really know. You don't have any comparison. and All the eggs um, in one basket. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly, yeah. So there definitely are things. There are best practices. 
But what I hear you saying that is so important is that you do need some sort of a test period because you're not going to come out the gate with every campaign being like, hey, that's a winner and that's a winner. I mean, it's not a sure thing. You do have to look at creative. You have to look at how connected the host is with the content that they're creating in that ad read, right? Is it interesting to listen to? You do have to look at the demographics. And I think you make a really good point that I always feel like an advertiser knows who is going to purchase their product or service, but do they know the podcast listener? There's going to be a bit of trial and error, just like a testing period in any campaign um, with any sort of you know ad out there. You really do need to test to see what's going to work. I would really love to talk about dynamic ad insertion. So I know that because you've been in the industry for so long, you have seen, like we've already discussed, those embedded baked-in ads, and you've seen how they work. But also, my guess is you would you have seen what has been left on the table by just selling in that fashion. And now, as we're moving in toward dynamic insertion, the possibilities, I think, from a multitude of areas have opened up. What are your thoughts about dynamic ad insertion? I think it's incredible. And I'm not just saying that because I've worked at a company that obviously employs dynamic ad insertion. I was reticent as the industry of shifting over to that. I mean, everybody is anytime there's like change happening. It's like, oh, it's scary, like new stuff. But then once I understood that the actual core of what makes the quote unquote product good, i.e. the host read ad and the audience that consumes podcasts, those two things were still attached. Those two things still existed. And so the delivery mechanism in which it was being delivered to those people and the voice that was being used to it as long as that was still there. And so then once I started to wrap my head around that, I was like, okay, like this is something that I, you know, obviously have to engage with, but then understanding how that can be deployed appropriately, because as you said, like a Bates in ad performs differently than a dynamically inserted ad. And I, I think realistically, the, um, the companies and shows that exist just in the baked in universe, not only are they limiting their opportunity from a financial perspective, but frankly, this, the sort of brands that will engage with that because most companies, they need to be able to obviously switch creative to have multiple different creatives running at any particular time. And if you're limiting this where it's like, oh yeah, well, your ads are going to be heard in perpetuity forever. And they're just like, oh, that sounds terrifying. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And frankly, so many of these shows that exist in just the baked in world, like political shows as an example. They can never switch because, first of all, there's the, politics is, is a third rail for many companies. They're like, I cannot advertise on political shows. I don't care if it's left, right, center. If it's talking about politics, they're going to stay away from it. So they those shows need to create more, quote unquote, value from that perspective and give those things. But then, again, the clients that would might be interested in that are just like hardcore DR marketers that are like, Hey, you know, one day direct mail be, might be working. So they're going to focus on that. And then the next day they're going to be like, let's try this podcast thing. And that, th- to me, that is scary from a long tail advertiser interest perspective, because, you know, wherever the wind may blow are where those, that those dollars are going to be spent. And ultimately, I think that that is why obviously dynamic insertion opens it up to the entire spectrum of clients and agencies to be able to engage with it and feel safe about it as opposed to just, yeah, we're going to hear forever. That's kind of it. Because like, if you don't give any options to people, 
then like that's when they're just like, oh, really? That's why the medium obviously felt so niche and so like cottage industry was because there was no options. It was like, is this or was that? And I understand the argument can now be made where it's like, oh, well, the only option is to do dynamically insert that. Well, no, like you can still do some version of it that performs dynamically or is inserted dynamically, but maybe performs like a big did ad. There are options there. Mm -hmm. But that, and I I think that's where ultimately I landed on the side of, oh yeah, it's a good thing because it's more versatile because there's more options with it. So many more. And I think what's so fascinating to me is that when I originally talked to the agencies that had been in the podcast space for years, they were like super anti-dynamic insertion. It was like, no way we will. And I remember, I'm sure you do too, having conversations where they said, we will never buy dynamically inserted ads. Like we won't do it. And I'm like, okay, all right. But then when I talked to agencies who were brand new to the space, they would be like, this is going to run dynamically inserted because we don't want, like you're saying, we don't want this message to be out there forever, which I think it makes so much more sense for everyone involved that the creative is going to need to change. Every company is going to evolve. They're going to change. That podcast is going to grow. They're going to change. That host is going to make different decisions that maybe maybe their voice today is one that your brand wants to align with, but is their voice the same in two years? And now all of a sudden you're like, oh shoot, my ad is still in that podcast and I don't really want to be aligned with this person anymore, maybe due to brand safety or or things that they've done. So really, it's been so fascinating to watch the industry move that way. And dynamic insertion is definitely growing in this space, as is programmatic. And really, the two kind of go hand in hand. And we can only grow programmatic ads if we grow that technology to insert ads dynamically. And really, that I think is one of the biggest barriers to us not having more programmatic growth. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. As the technology continues to evolve, not only from the ad tech side of things, but obviously in the consumer side of things. Like when podcasts are as easy to consume as obviously radio or television is, because as of right now, like we obviously don't have any leveling off in regards to listening of podcasts. Yes, of course, there's like, little plateaus, but like for the most part, it's hockey stick growth, as they say. And Mm -hmm. so until we reach that point, and then obviously once the different iterations of technologies start to run out, then we'll be able to see the dust will settle and people will understand of where the industry is. If it's going to continue to grow, then there's going to be more iteration on that. And there's going to be more appetite for all of those different types of ad products, whether it's programmatic or whether it's audience targeting, being more refined to be able to you know, not target down to the women with red shoelaces in Omaha, Nebraska, but like being able to target people not on just a static IP address and all all of those sort of things. So I think as long as there is continual growth, that iteration will only grow. And then obviously the clients that are engaged with the podcast space and knowing that it's like, okay, if we are doing, if we're in audio, if we're in streaming, if we are in radio, like just completely leaving this other vertical vacant. Like it's a, it not only is it a missed opportunity, but it's like, you are not hitting this valuable consumer that is literally not being advertised to you. It's like, sometimes, I mean, I know it sounds like, it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like hyperbole to you or I, because we talk about it day in and day out, but like, these are people who are under advertised to you, which sounds insane. 
in 2020, but it's like people have so much more choice now and for the ability for them to engage with advertisements that are not annoying, like that, like what, that's insane. Like, how do you even do that as well as podcasts? There was a recent report that came out that said that 78% of people who listen to podcasts are responding in some way. And to me, that just blows my mind. But it really, I, I think you and I still really believe in that host read endorsement ad and the value that it brings. And it, it gets down to the concept of if I'm listening to this podcast, I'm listening to it for a reason. I like the content. I like the host. And I always, again and again, go back to the fact that we like to buy products and services that are going to make our lives better. And that's why podcast ads are so valuable. And I know I say that probably on every episode that I record, but it really, and to your point, there are people, thousands of people, I'm sure, who you you can't reach them with any form of traditional um, marketing out there, period, right? They don't watch any, I, oh my gosh, over the holidays, I was at my in-laws and that is the first time I have watched network television in so long. <laughs> and yeah. like just sitting there and being like, oh, we have to watch the ads? Really? Yeah. You that, know? That, that brand's still in business? Oh, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, it's a whole different world. And it is, it is so, and obviously that there's a function of that because that's obviously reaching a demographic that that company feels is valuable or whatever. But what you're talking about that I that resonates with me is the the curiosity that people have. It, like people listen to podcasts because they want to learn. I don't care what it is that you want to learn about, whether it's pop culture, science. So because of that, people are extremely engaged with the uh, content and then obviously the ads that surround it. And there's also this notion that it, it, that honestly, I can't think of another medium that especially from a you know mass media perspective, where if a person feels like they're using that promo code or what have you, like maybe radio, where they feel like they are literally supporting the host. You hear hosts even hawking that in their intros, where it's like, oh yeah, when you're buying these products, like it obviously helps me and there's a reason I'm endorsing this or whatever. No one feels like that about like, oh man, the YouTube pre-roll. Like, <laughs> no, no one. And alternatively to what you're talking about, We've seen like whatever The Verge doing coverage on it in regards to like ads that are appearing. The Daily got in hot water in regards to, oh, we got Exxon Mobil ads running in our climate change episode or whatever. It's like, oh, geez, this feels weird. Podcasting gets so loud so quickly where it's like the host sees one tweet about like, hey, why are you running this non-voice ad? And they're like, oh, I'll get that turned off right away. And then it happens. I yeah. see it yeah. all the time. And no, so for sure. And for me, that gets down to the heart of podcasts, which is why the medium is so magical. And that is really the time spent listening. I, I get tripped out by it so frequently that here we are with social media and, you know, with all the reels and the TikToks and like, let's see how short we could possibly make our attention span. And I am guilty just like the next person. But when you look at the level of time that people spend listening to a podcast, to me, it is just off the charts. And because it is an audio medium, it has so much power. And I think what you're talking about really is just, it's that level of engagement and that level of almost like personal ownership. And when you talk to somebody about a show, they'll be like, oh my gosh, I love this podcast. Like you have to listen to it because it feels so personal. So I, I really believe it's one of the only mediums 
out there where it really does feel like it's a personal connection between the host and the audience. And that's why it is so powerful at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I honestly, I mean, the reason I was attracted to the whole podcast landscape period was because it felt very much like the independent music world that I came up in. Yeah. People existing in small, sweaty rooms that they've rented out to jump on a hundred of their friends with their friends' bands playing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What would you say if someone is brand new to the space, if they're an advertiser, maybe they work with an agency or for an agency, or maybe they just work in a marketing position at a company and they're like, hey, I know we really need to get into podcasting, but I I just feel lost. I really am not sure where to start. What would you recommend they do? Well, I mean, for one, engage with the medium, like as a consumer, just listen to a few podcasts, whatever that may mean, because a lot of people are like, they feel afraid They're you know, they look at whatever this American life, they're like, oh my gosh, it's like 400 episodes. Like, where do I begin? It's like anywhere. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if it's a matter of just like leaning on friends and colleagues to be able to be like, oh, here's these things. So that way you become familiar with the medium from a sort of content creation perspective. Um, And then I, I think the next step is basically being able to just kind of pay attention to what's happening in the cultural conversation, whether it's looking at social media, just understanding the, the the commonalities that you hear in regards to the type of shows mentioned, whether it's like, again, understanding the landscape as a whole. Because And then, honestly, like rather than sort of shotgun blasting like 15 different people to talk with, like talk to, you know, if it doesn't have to be like the most, you, you, oh, talk to NPR, iHeart, like Amazon, whatever. Like you don't have to talk to like the biggest in the game because right. sometimes the biggest will be like, oh man, like the barrier in entry is a little, little tough for me. Right. But just kind of talk to a few different partners and then you'll be able to, as long as they're obviously a good partner, they will be able to give you some insight in regards to like what the appropriate approach would be. Because I still think that most people that exist in the space like you and I do, the high tide raises all ships. So it's like, none of us are going out there being like, oh, you only need to work with one company. And we're like, you know, no, right. Right. no. You, yeah. you, you, like as long as people are working with what I would personally define as a reputable, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people out there where it's like, oh, stay away from that. Like, don't buy that podcast, like fake numbers or whatever. Like, it right. is, and we can, that, that over time has been a push to the side where it's like, the people that exist in the sort of, you know, unethical gray area will get pushed out. But um, so I think those steps, engaging with the content, under, like talking to a few different people and then finding who you're gravitating towards as far as like, oh, okay, it's like, yeah, I'm going to work with these three partners. Only after you've kind of, you know, done a few of those uh, different tests with different size shows and different audiences or whatever, will you be able to engage with the overarching industry with a little more information. And then obviously you could be better armed to either walk into an agency to be like, I can't handle this, <laughs> help me out here. Uh, or be like, oh no, I can, because I, I see it happen time and time again now where so many of these, you know, D to C and DR companies, they just bring their planning in house now, which is really obvious. I mean, in my opinion, very smart because it's that, yeah. that is a very important lead gen thing for them. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool to watch that fall over time. Right. It seems like that is happening more and more, which is really fascinating to me. I kind of anticipated that it might be the opposite, where more people would gravita- gravitate toward agencies. But I guess to your point, I think brands are understanding the space better. They're understanding how to go about buying it. And really, 
there is far more control if you can do it in-house. But those are all really super great tips. I appreciate that. So Ray, it's been great having you on the show today. If somebody is interested in talking to you about getting ads on any of the iHeart shows, where could they reach you? You can just reach me at rayharkins at iheartmedia.com and I can kindly help them out. Excellent. Thanks so much. And thanks for listening. I'm really excited about all of the changes and developments that are going to happen here in the podcast space in the upcoming year. So I hope that you make sure to listen to the show each week. If you have questions, go to truenativemedia.com and we certainly can help you. Thanks so much and have a great day. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.